Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Pretty Lies and Alibis. Join us as we seek the truth and travel the long road to justice. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Pretty Lies and Alibis. I'm Gigi Fruit Loop. What you know? I know that this case gets a big what the world. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I'm literally watching all day making notes for today's testimony. And they're talking about him going to the hospital being diagnosed with this mild concussion. And I'm thinking they should have diagnosed him with diabetes because he got a bad case of diabetes. Yeah, he's, he's a big liar. Hey, you like my backdrop. So, you yeah. know, I'm working on getting this fixed, but because I look like I'm morphing into something. You do. Uh, I took this photo. It's really cool. You look like we're recording this from your portal. Yeah, I have this photo on my wall in our media room. Oh, yeah. Did you yeah. take that one? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's in New Mexico. Yeah, I really want to go there. Biggest so, moon I've ever seen in my life. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's like, why does it look so small here? Yeah, I see all these pictures like of it huge, you mm -hmm. know, coming up on the horizon. And it's like a little light right up in the sky here. Yep. Well, we want to give a shout out to our sponsor, Two Cool T-Shirt Quilts. You can go to twocoolt-shirtquilts.com slash pretty lies and alibis. Check out the quilts, the pillows, all the things they can do for you with T-shirts, clothing, not just T-shirts. They can use all kinds of stuff you have. Check them out. We are going to be giving away a quilt pillow. If you um, our our true crime feud is coming up this Saturday at 730. I, we both need to uh, actually pin at the top of our profiles the sign-up sheet. We've had a few people ask, and I meant to do that, but I didn't. because Yeah, I've shared the link a few times, too. We can do another yeah. post, too. Yep. Yeah, so uh, whoever picked, you're going to pick teams, minor Fruit Loops team, and then whichever one of us wins, whoever was on our team has a chance to win one of these awesome t-shirt pillows behind me so go check out the website we are going to do day one and day two of testimony today for chandler halderson this case is going on it's streaming live it's very graphic i felt bad for the jurors because they were showing pictures of bart halderson's torso to the jury and as soon as they were done the judge says let's break for lunch and i thought man these jurors aren't used to seeing stuff like that well, I thought it was it was interesting that the judge tells them, now you look at however long you need to look at it, and you you know look you can look away, and they will tell you when the next photo comes up, so then you can turn your attention back to the screen. Yeah, I, I mean that's bad. Yeah, I've been in the courtrooms when graphic stuff's been shown in Jody Arias, and then. It was a case a long time ago where a neighbor cut a baby out of a woman. And you see the jury's reaction when you're in the courtroom. And most of the time it's horrified because these people don't choose to do this kind of work for a living because they're usually adverse to seeing that kind of stuff. So ordinary citizens definitely who are on jury duty in these type of cases get a rude awakening as Luke. to what a lot of people in our community have to see day in and day out. I ain't gonna lie on CSI and NCIS when they autopsy somebody, I look away. I don't like seeing that stuff. <laughs> you're you're so squeamish Ooh, about medical like stuff. When I was pregnant, yeah. you almost gag when you'd see my belly moving, and yeah, I'd I like to like throw you out, you know, with 
random ways I can bend my little flexible joints and stuff. Oh, anyways, let's jump in because we have a lot of testimony to cover. We're mm -hmm. just trying to play catch up. We just have been busy with other things. So we're going to do day one and two tonight. We're hopefully going to release today's testimony and then we'll be all caught up. So the very first witness that they called was Deputy John Nelson, and he's a deputy with the sheriff's office. He was working on July 7th of last year, and at 11.25 a.m., he noticed someone had been coming up to the door at the sheriff's office precinct, and he talked to Chandler, who said he wanted to make a missing persons report. He said his parents, Bart and Chris, were missing, and he told them where they lived in the community. And they have a deputy from that area who's assigned, I guess, to that neighborhood area, Josh Seeley. So they called and asked him to come talk to Chandler. And Seeley started interviewing him in what they call the day room. And he said that Chandler's affect was a little quiet, sort of lethargic, and he seemed tired. And as he was just, he seemed tired as he was describing not seeing his parents since the previous week. Now, if you remember, if you've listened to last night's episode where we did the openings, he murdered his parents between 3 and 5 p.m. Or I'm, I'm sorry, five like 5 o'clock on July 1st and spent days cleaning, um, dismembering the bodies, cleaning the house, trying to burn the parents in the fireplace. So I would imagine at this point he had not slept, and it was obvious to a lot of people around him. So Chandler said his parents had gone to the cabin at White Lake the week before on an early Friday morning. He hadn't seen them since and wanted to report them as missing, and he said they left in some mystery couple's vehicle. He didn't have a description of any of it. A he, his story was he was asleep before they left. So after he was interviewed, they decided to all go back to the house and they would accompany him. So exhibit one, they just showed a, a photo of the house. And once there, you see Nelson and Deputy Seeley inside. And they walk around and the deputy asks where the parents' bedroom was. Did you freeze? Uh, no, my daughter just busted up in here like a Kool-Aid <laughs> man through the wall. <laughs> so I just paused because you can hear a car running and she's standing in the doorway confused. So Chandler took him up to the bedroom area, which is kind of the upper main level that had all the bedrooms. And he said at that point, nothing was obvious as far as a crime taking place in the house. And the furniture was set normally. The only thing that he did notice was in the room with the fireplace, there are some chairs. They had some linen blankets over them. Mm -hmm. So next they started asking if anyone else lived there. And he said he has a brother and the deputy wanted to talk to him to see if he had seen Bart or Krista. Uh, after this, he was with him most of the afternoon and evening. Chandler used a vape pen during this time. Uh, they contacted their detective division to get them involved. So then next is cross-exam, right? Yeah, I mean, they didn't do, they haven't done much. It's been very basic. <laughs> no, I was watching. It was like, okay, nope, we're good. Don't yeah. have anything. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, and it looks to me he has all female attorneys, correct? Uh, yeah, I, 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 was I don't say I thought, so. yeah, I haven't seen a guy there. So I hadn't either. Yeah. Yep. Uh, you walk through the house and the detective says, yes, the living room, kitchen and second floor, which was bedrooms and a laundry room. They were doing renovations in the house. So the second witness uh, was Josh, Joshua Seeley. He's been a deputy for 20 years. Uh, he does patrol duty for the village of Windsor. That sounds like a place in London. It is a place in London. Uh, well, yeah, but I'm saying like it's the village. I of London. Yeah, I mean it's it's. it's I want to nice talk in my British voice now. Right, it's a nice little Cheerio. name. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, I love British people. Yeah, it's so cool. That's what I have my phone set. Siri is British. Mine too. Yeah, I didn't know that. Mine too. British guy. Yeah. Yep. Same. Uh, okay, so. That's where the Haldersons lived. Uh, July 7th, he responded to the precinct for the missing persons case. It sounds like to me, going back to that, where you talked about him walking back up and 
it sounded like he walked up to the police precinct door more than once. Yeah, that's kind of what I took from it. They didn't clarify that, but that's just yeah. sort of how it came across to me. It's almost like when you make that, when you make that contact, then like whatever you've been doing prior to that, it's all starting to move then. Right. Cause you can't undo that. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so anyways, uh, most people call to report a missing person. Uh, he walks into the day room. He identifies Chandler's being there. He asked him what was going on. And he said he hadn't had contact with his parents since they went to the cabin and he was concerned. He said they left with friends to work on a fire pit and a water pump at the cabin. Uh, he didn't mention anything about a car and mentioned some names of who they may have gone with. Uh, they drove to the residence to get an overall picture of the situation, follow up questions from Chandler and nailed down why he thought his parents were missing. Uh, the neighborhood is quiet and well-kept. There's a pond behind the house. Uh, they were invited inside by Chandler and continued their questions. Chandler asked if they wanted to look around the house and he took them upstairs. One room was down to the studs and insulation and was under renovation. Yeah. So Chandler pointed out couches that had been pushed together saying he was sleeping there because it was closer to the bathrooms. That's the room the fireplace is in the room where he tried to burn his parents' heads he said the room under construction was the only other bathroom in the house, and this was just better for him to sleep there. He held up a neck brace and said that's another reason he was going to sleep downstairs. So when they asked why he thought his parents were missing, it went straight. He said that he called and it went straight to voicemail. And the deputies tried to call and theirs went to voicemail as well. So they contacted uh, Bart and Krista's friends with the number provided by Chandler. From there, they were able to get more phone numbers to reach out to people like other friends. They reached out to employers, just kind of your standard stuff when you're trying to uh, figure out where people are, I guess. And Deputy Seeley, he didn't go into the basement at this time. When asked what his parents normally pack for trips to the cabin, Chandler said they took several bottles of liquor. He said they normally take a bottle or two and said that his dad took $4,000 in cash from the safe, which was unusual, and so he just thought they were going to a casino. Chandler said they left at 6 a.m. on July 1st, and he didn't say that he saw him leave. And they noted that he never wore the neck brace, and his demeanor was just very matter-of-fact with no sense of urgency, and he didn't seem emotional. So on cross-exam, they just essentially, um, anytime somebody who doesn't know Chandler person, it, what? Did you say I something? Say, I was going to say, I had to wear a neck brace because we was in that car wreck. I wore that thing for like two hours. Uh-uh, ain't no way. <laughs> That's why he didn't wear it, he didn't need it. He didn't, no, he didn't need it. Uh, um, but, you know, when the, on the cross-exam, pretty much uh, several times, if somebody didn't know Chandler, they would say, so you've never met Chandler before. In other words, you don't know his normal demeanor. That was the extent of the cross-exam. So the next witness was Deputy Haley Lafever. I can't remember how to pronounce it. Sorry. Lafever. Haley, if you're, if I, <laughs> she is a deputy sheriff with the Dane County Sheriff's Office. And she first became involved in this case when her partner, Deputy Seely, requested her to come to the residence as soon as she came on duty around 1 p.m. And once she was there, she met Deputy Seely outside and he summarized essentially what he knew so far about what was going on. And once she got inside the home, she was introduced to Chandler and she asked if his parents had any medical issues. And he said that his dad had psoriasis that had recently flared up and his mom was recently diagnosed with skin cancer, but it wasn't a diagnosis she was worried about. She had it for 15 years, apparently, but only was diagnosed a week prior to this. And he said that at some point she had a mini stroke that caused a little bit of a speech change and headaches kind of off and on since that had happened. Look, he is word vomiting. Oh my gosh. He's saying yeah. all kind of stuff. Like psoriasis has anything to do with them being missing. <laughs> I know. Right? Like she's asking that question Is he a diabetic? Has he had a stroke? Like something right. that would cause their mind to be altered. Right. Not because I think it's psoriasis. Yeah. And at this point, yesterday in the episode, we talked about how 
at this point in the investigation, they're more worried about an accident. You know, did a health condition cause an accident or something? Yeah. Like heart problems where he could have run off the road, like stuff like right. that. Right. Yeah. Not an ingrown yeah. toenail, you know what I mean? No. Yeah. Yeah, he telling all kind of stuff. <laughs> he cut his finger when he was five. Yeah. <laughs> right. Got yeah. a small scar. Exactly. Uh, he told her that he helped his parents pack on July 1st. Uh, they packed their own clothing, but he helped his mom pack her medications, food, phone chargers, and tools for the cabin, uh, which was a wrench, a hatchet, a bow saw, two 10-gallon containers for gasoline. He told her his parents took a large sum of cash from the safe and more alcohol than usual. He assumed his mom was stressed, and that's why she was drinking. Uh, he seemed, he claims he didn't know the couple that picked them up, and he asked his parents on the first who the friends were, and they were not direct with him and never told him who they were. See, when you start lying, it's like a lie after lie. Then you got to remember what lie you told. Well, and the thing, too, is you see these slight variations in what he's telling people because he only told one deputy that they were going to do repairs. And then I never saw who they left with. I have no clue. And then he's saying that he, he may have, you know, he didn't know the couple that picked them up and he asked his parents. He never told anybody else. Like I asked them, but they wouldn't tell. Yeah. Yeah. So he told her he woke up at 6.15 on the 2nd and they weren't home. So he said they left between 4 and 6.15 a.m. Mm-hmm. Uh, she thought it was odd. Other details were given about packing, what they took, and nothing about who they went with, uh, which she thought was unusual. Uh, she asked what they normally wore so police could could ID or pass um, info, information along to other agencies. Uh, he said his mom wore long sleeves and baseball hats, Brooks brand shoes, and his dad would wear cargo shorts and cheesy dad joke shirts. You gotta love a dad that wears cheesy dad joke shirts. Come on. Oh, yeah. Those yeah. are the best kind. Yeah. Uh, walking around the home, she noticed there were blankets over the furniture. Uh, lots of mail on the table. Nothing obviously odd. On the table were insurance cards because he had an appointment. There was a note from his mom. The note said, hope your day goes really well. A number was listed with the name Pam, and it said, just in case, heart you. Yeah, she just um, had, like, drawn a heart, like, love you. Yeah, so that's odd, right? Well, I mean, one person that testified later in the day said that even though the boys were older, she really, even if they went out of town, made sure they had things, that they had meals covered, that, you know what I'm saying? Just a mom thing. Yeah. So, um, and they asked, you know, why would a 23-year-old be left with a neighbor's number? And part of it was because he had had this fall down the stairs, allegedly. Yeah. So it was like a, in case he needed an emergency something, he could contact Pam. Right. Um, so he said he had an appointment on Monday, July 5th, and his mom had an appointment on the 7th. He was concerned she missed that and wasn't home. Right. So he showed her a text on his phone he says was from his mom around 11 a.m. on July 4th. And that's the one we talked about yesterday where they said they were going to the parade in the town where the cabin was and they would be home on Monday or Tuesday. So Chandler filled out a missing person certification for both Bart and Krista. And uh, on the date they were reported missing, Bart was 50 years old and Krista was 53. So that was all with that witness and there was no cross-exam. So the next witness was Detective Brian Shunk, who is one of the lead detectives on this case. Around that he had told other investigators. He said there was a bin in the garage that they always took to the cabin and it wasn't there. And he also said they took tools and two gas cans for the chainsaw. He showed uh, Detective Shunk this text from his mom or from him and they show the text and at 4:47 PM Chandler texts her hoping this goes through. I bet there's a lot of people up there making it hard to message. And we see what, you know, the text she wrote about going to the parade and Chandler texts on July 7th. Hey, I'm worried at the police station. Can you call or text? 
So they show pictures of the inside and outside of the house and the furniture covered and everyone's bedroom. The investigator noticed the parents' bedroom was in more disarray the second time he looked in there. And they show a photo with items on the bed and the bedside table. And Chandler told the investigator that he was looking for things in the room to help police. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they show a picture of the fireplace with the pane of glass missing. And they show a picture of the basement, which I'm going to tell you, their organization skills were top notch. And I'm a little jealous. The investigator said he was impressed, too. They show another view of the basement. And on the other side, it wasn't quite as organized. So then we see a picture of, of this chest freezer and the investigator says the freezer in the picture had been moved from when he was first there on the seventh. And when Chandler took them down there on the seventh, he kept the lights very dim in that basement. He just, the investigator doesn't remember seeing that freezer anywhere in that house. The first time he was there. That's weird. That's suspicious. Yep. Are you going to pick up here or you want me to keep going? Uh, you just want to finish this one out? And yeah, I'll do yeah. It. Yes. So beside where the freezer is, there's a cutout in the wall. They show a picture of Bart and Krista's cars in the garage. And the investigator said Chandler seemed really hesitant to show them the garage. And the excuse was that his two dogs were in there and they would skid. They were really skittish and they would jump on him. So he brought initially, uh, finally, he brought the dogs in and let the investigator go out there. He showed them where the bin was missing from the storage shelf and it would have had a label on it that said cabin and they always took it with them when they went. So that was the end of the state questioning and there was no cross-exam by the defense. So the next witness is Chandler's brother, Mitchell. And I didn't really take a lot of notes during this. It was just sort of the same thing about his parents kind of, is it typical they drink, do they gamble, that kind of thing. And he just said that his parents didn't tell them they were going to the cabin, and that's unusual. He, they asked about life insurance policies that they had, and he said that the policies themselves totaled around a million dollars, and that was not including the properties, and he and Chandler both were listed as beneficiaries. Ooh. So, you got, yeah, the motive is dad unraveled. This was starting to figure out Chandler had been lying for years, and you find out now they would have split over a million dollars. Yeah. So why don't you pick up here fruit loop? All right. So the sixth witness was Justin groans. He's a detective with sheriff's office near the cabin. Uh, he met Mitchell and his girlfriend there. Uh, detectives from the home in Windsor were supposed to meet them there, but Mitchell received a call as soon as the investigator got out of his car saying that the investigators had been called back and would not be able to meet them. Uh, they walked around the property and body cam footage was shown. You could see the grass was high and the cabin looked unused. The officer used a crowbar to get into the cabin and it was empty with no signs of trouble. And again, there was no cross exam on that. Mm -mm. Uh, the next witness was Curtis Van Pelt and he was Krista's boss for two years. So this is the mom's boss. Mm -hmm. He said she was kind of kind and warm customer service rep. Uh, July 1st, Krista worked from 7.41 a.m. to 4.58 p.m. They show her time off request, and she did not request to be off July 2nd. She didn't show up, and that was very unusual. She would text and let him know she wouldn't be there if something happened. I think that's huge. Yeah, I mean, when, you know, when somebody's missing and then all these things that are very normal for them to do, which is to call in and say, hey, something's up, you know, right out of the gate, something's amiss when normal things that people do, they don't do, you know, because at one point they were asking, did they maybe go somewhere for treatment for your mom's skin cancer or whatever? And yeah, I look because I people typically don't just disappear without a trace unless there's foul play. So the next witness was John and we're going to mess this name up. Ponelt. Ponelt? I think so. Yeah, we probably just butchered it like the wrong way right, together. So. Sorry, John. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, he works at a quick trip where Krista came in to get lunch on her break the day she was murdered. Uh, looks like she was there for about a minute from like one seventeen to one eighteen. They have her on camera. 
Um, you know, it's so eerie when you see footage of somebody right before their demise. I don't know. For me, it's just very odd to see. And so later on in testimony, you see her car pull in from work and you know what's about to happen. It's just, it's very eerie to me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the next witness was Daniel Kroniger. Uh, he was a co-worker of Krista's at the body shop. Um, they became friends and he had been to their home. He had also met Bart and they all hung out together. On July 3rd, he heard Krista didn't call or show up. He had the day off and a couple of co-workers text to see if he had heard from her. He had not and she didn't tell him she was going to the cabin. Around 4.40, he drove to Bart and Krista's house to see if she was there. Since it was weird, she didn't show up. He only lived a couple of miles away. Uh, he knocked with no response, so he looked in the window and saw a table on its side. He went to the garage and saw the cars were there. And then Chandler came to the door. They talked outside the side garage door. He said Chandler looked like he had just gotten out of the shower. And Chandler said they weren't there and went to the cabin in an emergency with an unknown couple. See, again, you see that variation. Nobody else has heard about an emergency at the cabin. Yeah. You see what I'm yeah. saying? It's just, yeah. yeah. Uh, he had a bandage on his large toe and said he broke the glass around the fireplace playing with his dogs and said there was blood everywhere. So why do you have to tell him that? Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You know what I mean? Uh, like, no, I don't why? know. I was, I was, I was responding to my Grammy who says she's making soup for me. Oh, uh-uh. Grammy soup's good. Um, so why do you have to tell the guy? Like he has a bandage on his toe, but then right. you go and a lot of detail about like when I see somebody and I have a bandage on, I don't tell them like, Oh my gosh, I got a boo-boo. And here's the funny thing. Somebody who actually saw the boo-boo said it was literally just slightly bigger than a puncture mark. It yeah. wasn't even a gash. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Man. So, uh, it's over, overcompensating, I guess you would say, uh, yeah. just giving too much information, uh, because he knows what really happened. Right. Um, so they exchanged phone numbers to keep in touch and he felt the story made sense. So he left. He followed up with him on the fourth asking when they were expected to be back. Chandler called him and wanted to know what he was doing, saying he was bored and wanted to hang out. Shut up. Yeah, no, he does this. And I think a lot of that was designed to just sort of throw suspicion off of him. Mm -hmm. If I'm just hanging out with you and I'm seemingly normal, then you're going to, you know, you're not going to look at me. That just kind of is how I see yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he told Chandler he would let him know when they got home that they would be with neighbors in the street going, doing 4th of July stuff. Uh, he had hung out with Chandler before with his parents, but not alone. Chandler came over after 8.30 with Kat. They shot fireworks and hung out in the driveway. Nobody had any burn injuries from the fireworks. Uh, he text, He next talked to Chandler on Monday the 5th. Chandler said Krista would be another day late and asked if he could ask for another day off for Krista. Uh, July 6th, he followed up with Chandler about Krista's doctor's appointment, which she was looking forward to and asked Chandler to have Krista to call when she got back in town. On the 6th, he texted Chandler again and said Krista was in danger of losing her job if she didn't call in. Uh, Chandler said he would file a missing person report if she didn't show for her doctor's appointment. And at this point, Daniel was worried because he had texted with her while she was at the cabin, and she, wouldn't, and she, would not, and she wouldn't show up to work or miss the doctor's appointment. Yeah, I mean, he knew that was out of character. And this Dan guy, he really, 
stayed in contact with Chandler, which I'm sure at that point was freaking Chandler out a little bit inside. Yeah. Cause he knows yeah. that Dan at this point is really concerned and there's just no going back, you know, at this point, now that people know they're not, he had all these days to kind of get rid of evidence, but I'm sure in yeah. the back of his mind, when those police come in, did I miss a, some blood? You know, if you watch yeah. forensic files, you know, oh, it looked really great. They did a good job of cleaning up, but we found some blood in the corner. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that too is probably why he said with his toe, there was blood everywhere. Oh my goodness. Um, it, according to what the lady testified, I mean, he it probably didn't even bleed. Yeah. So Dan and Chandler go back and forth saying someone was going to the cabin to check. Chandler said he called Mitchell and just, if you hear anything, let me know. Uh, Dan said Chandler's affect was seemingly not concerned. Cross-exam, they asked, when asked about his demeanor, he said what seemed off was when he talked about the blood from his toe. He seemed like he looked through him. Other than that, he seemed normal. Yeah, he just said it was kind of a blank you know, when he's telling about his toe. So the yeah. next witness, there was, uh, that was the only cross about that, which, like I said, is just kind of always questioning his affect. So the next witness was Zach Reed, who was a HVAC salesman. And on July 7th, he went to the address because Bart and Krista were interested in buying a unit and he was there to give them an estimate. So he arrived a little bit after 11 a.m. for a noon appointment and he knocked on the door and went back to his car. He was ahead of schedule. So finally someone drove up and Chandler got out of the car and Zach told Chandler why he was there. And Chandler told this guy that he had just reported his parents missing. And he said, well, do you want to reschedule? And Chandler said, no, this needs to be done. So Chandler says something about the dogs being in the house. And then he says, maybe we should reschedule. He said Chandler seemed stressed and he noticed while standing at the front door, it looked like the dryer vent had been taped shut and all the windows were open which in july it was hot there and all the windows are open so on cross-exam bart made the request to have the estimate done they wanted to clarify who did and they essentially said it look it's the first time you've been there you don't know what the house looked like that before that day so the next witness was pam sidewell that's krista and bart's neighbor and friend and her and Krista used to be co-workers and this is the pan that was listed on the note left for Chandler. And she knew Chandler and Bart and Krista, they all did things together as a couple. I mean, she knew of Chandler and he did some odd jobs for her mother, but it wasn't one of those things where she was around him a lot. So towards the end of June, she knew that Krista and Bart were worried because Ch of Chandler's fall and said he had a concussion and she knew he had went to the doctor the next week she texted if um, Krista texted and asked if Pam was going to be around because Krista was going to be at work and Bart had a dentist appointment and she just wanted to make sure she was going to be around in case Chandler needed her. And Krista, Krista never told her about going to the cabin on the 4th and didn't ask her to keep an eye on Chandler, which were two things she would have normally done. She found out Bart and Krista were missing from a voicemail that was sent by a deputy. Chandler never reached out to her. There was no cross on that. So there were a few other witnesses, but it was nothing substantial. So I just didn't make any notes. So the last witness for this day was Detective Bill Hendrickson. He's with the Dane County Sheriff's Office. They were looking for signs of life for Bart and Krista. So they, what they would do is check bank accounts and see when's the last purchase they had made some purchases prior to July 1st, but nothing after that. Some things had posted, but it was like a charge back in June. So as you know, sometimes you can make a purchase and it takes a couple of days to come through your bank account. He said 42 hour, 48 hours is typically it. So now we hop on to day two, which is yesterday. So Detective Sabrina Sims, who's with Dane County, uh, they show the several media interviews that Chandler gave on July 8th. He asked not to be shown on camera. His voice was heard, and he was telling the same story. And again, there were no cross-examination on that. Uh, the next witness, Mary Sesto, was a Halderson family friend and neighbor. Uh, she had been friends with them for 25 years and didn't know them to ever gamble. 
Uh, they would have casual drinks, but they weren't heavy drinkers. Uh, Bart never not. had you Bart. Broke up there. Oh, did I? They yeah, were I just... not yeah. heavy drinkers. Right, yeah. Sorry. So Bart never had large amounts of cash laying around and was conservative with his money. Uh, they hung out a lot. They'd been to the cabin two to three times and her husband would help Bart close the cabin. They never rode together because Bart would have to bring whatever he needed with him so the car was so full. Uh, they knew when Bart and Krista would go to the cabin and they were planners and would make sure someone knew where they were going. See, I wonder why he says that about the $4,000 cash. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if that's something that's going to, you know, is it something he made up just to yeah. make it seem like they had a purpose? But according to everybody, including the other brother, Mitchell, his dad was conservative with his money. He would have nice things at the house, but he was never one. He was an accountant, so he was never one to keep large sums of money around the house, according to Mitchell. So I yeah. don't know if, if that's going to come in anyway. It's a really good question, though. Yeah. Uh, so as parents, uh, Krista would prepare food for Chandler when she was going to be away. And the cabin is dog friendly. So they normally took the dogs with them. Uh, Krista texts Chandler when she was going out and when she went to the cabin, like when they got there and was always in contact with the boys, they had cell reception at the cabin. Yeah, I think that's another huge point. It is. And she said that that was the one thing is they were never out of contact with their boys when they were on the road. It was a frequent keeping up with them, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. She learned they were missing when an officer called and told her Chandler had reported them missing. Right. Uh, you want to pick up? Yeah, so once she learned they were missing, she texted Chandler and emailed Mitchell and offered to bring Chandler food, and he actually came over to their house so on july 7th this is the day before he's arrested he came over for dinner around 7 45 8 o'clock that evening and her husband waited until he got there to go get the pizza and so when it was just the two of them her and chandler were talking and she said some things just didn't align with how she knew bart and krista and she got so uncomfortable that she actually went into another room to get away from him so she said Chandler was trying to be assuring and they, that they took a lot of cash to go gamble and a lot of booze, but she said it just wasn't like them and it made no sense. She said emotionally he was flat and usually was not that way. He got emotional talking about the dogs being locked in the garage while the tech detectives were there, but not about his parents. So she said at this point in the back of her mind, she's worried maybe they've had an accident and she was telling him that they can track their cell phones and Chandler said they can't do that. So Chandler mentioned because of his concussion, there was going to be a large deductible with a CAT scan. And she was, and she, he was told by Bart or Krista that, or she was told by Chandler's parents that he had this job at the insurance company, which he didn't. And she knew he was supposed to be getting this large check that he told his dad they, that he was due. And Chandler told her that wasn't going to happen. So Chandler had the cut on his toe from the fireplace when he said the dogs broke it. So he asked her to look at it. She said it was less than an eighth of an inch. She said that's how small it was. When asked about his physical movement, she said it was fine. She didn't see any limitations. And she said when she, he looked at his foot, he kind of bent down and turned his head and, you know, was able to manipulate his body to see the bottom of his foot. On cross-exam, she said she, she's known Bart and Krista for 25 years, which was just after the older brother Mitchell was born. And when asked how often she had one-on-one -on -one time with Chandler, she said she couldn't think of any time alone. Bart and Krista were always there. And as far as the cut on the toe, she said Chandler was concerned about infection, but it wasn't much bigger than a puncture wound. So the next witness is Kevin Linsmeyer, who's a neighbor. This guy was awesome. He's an ex-Madison Police Department detective for 31 years. He had just retired two months before in May. He knew both Bart and Krista, and he had actually known Bart since childhood. They were neighborly, but didn't really hang out. 
the first week in July, he started to notice that the grass was growing tall and normally they're good gardeners and would constantly be outside working on their plants. He had met Chandler shortly after they moved in, but really just didn't socialize with the family any more than just a wave and a hello. So on July 8th, this is the day Chandler's arrested at 830 in the morning. You see Chandler walking up on this guy's ring front door cam. And he asked Chandler to come into the garage to talk because he had a new puppy that was being crated and the puppy was wild. This is the guy that recorded the conversation with his phone, with his iPhone. He just felt something wasn't right, especially after seeing these police cars at the house the day before. So they played the audio of this and Kevin tells Chandler he's sorry for what's going on. And Chandler said what it is, kind of like it is what it is, is what I gather. And then he asks if the ring camera picks up the road. Kevin says somewhat, and Chandler asks if he has any notifications for early Friday morning before, kind of between midnight Thursday to Friday morning around 6.15, and Kevin says that he could check. And Kevin offers to help with the dogs any way he can, and Chandler says one of the dogs came from a bad home and needs to be with him or his parents or his great aunt. Uh, the dog is not comfortable with anybody else. So he gives Chandler his phone number and asks for Chandler's. And so uh, they explain uh, he knew Bart from childhood and his wife went to actually have went to school with Krista. So Kevin asks about their family and he says he hasn't heard from them and he doesn't think they know and he doesn't know how to contact them. So Kevin finally tells Chandler that he was a detective for 23 years and asks for Brett's phone number, which is Bart's older brother. And he says he'll give him a call. And he also said that he knew Bart's brother, Brett, was a police officer for several years. And Kevin says a cop came and talked to them yesterday about all this. And um, so they ended up and had lived in the same area years prior and just didn't know it. So they had a little conversation about that. So the next witness was Kelly Bennett, who is another family neighbor. Again, they have a ring doorbell. But this lady, her son works for the Department of Corrections and installs security systems in the facilities. So he did theirs. They have a really top-notch system. On July 7th, she heard that Bart and Krista were missing and her husband went to police and offered that camera footage. He seemed very nervous when she was saying this. Um, she didn't know them other than saying hello. Uh, as far as Bart and Krista goes, there was no cross-exam on this either. The next witness is Joelle Lockwood, who's another neighbor. Um, the last witness that testified is actually her sister. They work out of this home together. So at 3 o'clock, Chandler rang the doorbell and asked about their camera system. And they, they play the footage in court of Chandler coming to the door. And she tells him that the police took the footage. And as she says that, he it was really creepy. He walks to the corner of the porch and looks up at where the camera is seated and points, points to where it will record. So you can see he's trying to see this line of vision where this camera might pick up. And she tells him, hey, this is high definition. And he said, would it record in the dark? It looks like it has night vision. And she says, yes. And she also takes him kind of off the porch and shows him a camera on the corner of the garage. So he tells her, thank you. He leaves no cross exam. And the next witness is Catherine Schuster, who's a neighbor. And she knew Bart better than Krista saying that Krista was a little more reserved. Bart would be outside with the dogs a lot. And she had seen Chandler and Mitchell in passing, but really didn't know him well. Chandler came over to her house on the 8th and asked about security cameras. And she said she turned off the notifications because she didn't want her husband to see how many packages were being delivered uh, because the phone would go off every time. So she turned the notifications off for a while. She actually invited Chandler inside and he stayed in for 18 minutes. When he first came in, she let him know that she wasn't tech savvy and it would take her a minute to to pull up this footage. So Chandler sat on the floor and she no she told him the camera was off and nothing was captured. And he wanted to know if the camera got a view of the road. And she asked why they didn't take uh, their car. Why didn't Bart and Krista take their car with them? And he told her somebody had picked them up. 
So he, he told her it could be one of his dad's clients. And he said they took the computer for, from the house, but didn't take his dad's work computer. So she was just asking him random things about looking at their debit card. And he said they don't use their debit cards up north. They always used cash. And when asked about them tracking the phones, Chandler said they can't get them unless they have a dead body. Saying they can't get the subpoena for the records. And she said, oh, they can get them. It may take some time, but they'll get them. And he said the person down the street had the high-tech cameras. And then she told him of another house she knew of that, that had cameras. And she said that, you know, when they pull in the driveway, you're going to be so happy. And he said he wouldn't. He said he would give them an earful and he's angry. And he said the whole family is angry. And she said his demeanor was a little bit down. And there was no cross-exam on that. So the next witness was Deputy Michael Wilk. He was brought on to assist with video review of these neighbors' camera footage. And the lady that had the very high-tech cameras, this guy had to look at it for seven days worth, 24 hours each day. And he was just looking for any general activity. You could kind of see their house. So you could see the driveway. You could see the comings and goings. And the Subaru Outback was registered to Bart. A Volvo station wagon was registered to Krista. And then there was a Subaru Forester SUV that was registered to Kat's mom, which is his girlfriend. They go through the video and you see multiple times the cars are coming and going. It's mainly that Subaru, but you see it leave and come back. I mean, it's... Yeah, guys, my sugar's dropping, so that's why I ain't been saying anything. I'm sitting yeah. here eating cookies. Um, but going through video footage is such a pain. Like, oh, I've had man. to do it before, yeah. and you have to watch every minute and every second because if you could miss something. So I can understand yeah. that. Right. Do you want to take over here, or you want me to keep going? Uh, I, I think I can do this one. Right. Um, Don't fall so, out. Yeah, I know, right? Um, so Brett Halderson is Bart's older brother. Uh, they got together at holidays and occasional text. As parents, they were good, nurturing parents. They were involved. This is what he's telling them. The whole family was big in the Boy Scouts. He learned they were missing from his parents. He was a police officer, so I thought that was interesting. Yeah, for years. Yep. His first impression was they may be out of phone range and thought they would hear from them soon. That he tried to call them. After that, he called Chandler to get more information. Chandler told him the same story, except he mentioned the name Dan. He told Chandler to find out who Dan is and ask neighbors about cameras. Kevin called Brett after Chandler left. He spoke Kevin with deputies. The, yeah, Kevin, by the way, Kevin is the neighbor who was the ex-detective who had just retired, by the way. Um, so Kevin called Brett after Chandler left. Uh, he spoke with deputies and investigators and gathered photos for posters. Uh, he was in frequent contact with Chandler multiple times a day. Chandler told him about her health, his mom's health struggles, so he assumed maybe they went somewhere for treatment. His brother never kept large amounts of cash at home and didn't gamble. Again, you keep hearing that. Right, yeah. He thought Chandler was a student in college. Uh, Bart mentioned he was into solar energy, and Chandler said he was working on IT security, and his first assignment was to ride a Trojan virus to learn skills as an IT person. Uh, for work, he was told he was doing an internship at the insurance company, and Bart told him it was IT services. He didn't know about any concussion until Chandler told him after the murders that he wasn't supposed to drive. Uh, Brett had been scuba diving with Chandler as he was an instructor, and he got them certified. Him and Chandler had asked what it took to become a public safety diver. Now, one thing he had told other people, and we haven't got there yet, and the reason this is important, is he had told uh, Kat's mom that he was a diver for like the... I don't know. I, I don't know if it was the police, but he had told other people that he was a rescue diver. So that's kind of why, you know, I put that in there. So the next witness is Eric Novak. He's a friend of Chandler. They met in middle school and they had lived together a couple of years prior. 
And he reached out to Chandler when he found out that Bart and Krista were missing and texted him if he needed him, let him know he would do anything. Chandler said, I appreciate it. I'm sorry, but I don't have a name to this number. So who would this be? And his friend said, it's Eric. And Chandler says, sorry, I can't think of anything to do. I've searched the house with the cops for clues, but I couldn't find anything. Fingers crossed they get the court order to open their laptop. And Eric replies, they went up to the cabin, right? They haven't tried tracking their phones. And Chandler said, we need a court order for that. Every time I call it, goes straight to voicemail. So I think the phones are off or out of range. And Eric replies, okay, hopefully they move on that. When were they supposed to be back? Chandler says Monday or Tuesday. And Eric asks, have you been able to reach them at all since they left? So Chandler says they sent a text on Sunday, but I don't know when they made it because of the reception. Eric says, I understand. I just don't know how to help. And the state asks if they ever went swimming. And he said, yes, up in Sock City, which I think it's just going to come in that that's going to be one of the locations that his mom, mom's remains were found. So on, they didn't cross-examine, but they did not release him as a witness either. So he may be recalled at some point. Coming back, yeah. So, so the last, they, oh, yeah, you go ahead and take this one. This is the last okay. one for yesterday. So they recall Brian Shunk. Uh, the prosecution talks about the searches at the house, and he says sometimes the searches can be invasive, but at that time they uh, were not doing that. They did a visual consented search that Chandler allowed. So it shows the entire house, the video that they took. You see fans near the fireplace, the furniture covered, there's a table on its side. A note from Krista to Chandler. Good morning, Chandler. Hope your day goes really well. She puts Pam's numbers on there. And then July 8th through August 4th, the house was in custody of the sheriff's office and was guarded. Putting up evidence tape on the door. A deputy assigned to the crime scene 24-7 and stayed outside the home. And a log was kept of who came and went. Yeah, so that's essentially the first two days of testimony. And I think I'm on day three making notes. And we are hoping to have that out tonight because we want to stay current with this. And then, then we're doing it daily. So hopefully we'll see you guys later this evening. And we will wrap up what happened today with testimony. And we will be here every day as this trial is progressing. <laughs>